This is Steve Thompson, and today we're going to be reading Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 33. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon, a tanner, who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill, and eat them. No, Lord, declared Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. And standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, We were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He's a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night, and the next day they went with him, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up, I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside, where many others were assembled. Peter told them, You know, it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to even associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now, tell me why you sent for me. Cornelius replied, Four days ago, 
I was praying in my house about this time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying in the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. This is a really exciting passage for me, and it should be exciting for all of us, especially if we're new to this entire story. Because this is a pivotal point in history when God's stated intentions and prophecies were going to come true for people outside the family of Israel. The disciples had seen Jesus step over these lines of the law, and it completely blindsided them when he did. But now it was time for the rest of the world to be allowed into God's family, the family of Abraham. And it was becoming painfully obvious that the quote-unquote older brother, the Jewish people themselves, were going to have to be the ones to step over that line to invite and welcome foreigners into their families on completely level footing, calling them brothers and sisters, calling us brothers and sisters. If God hadn't doggedly pushed people like Peter to step way out of the box, we wouldn't be here. And that's exciting because we are here. So we'll talk more about those ramifications for us tomorrow. But today, I just want to note something about the vision that God used to get Peter's attention and to communicate so very clearly that no one was ever to call unclean that which God has declared to be clean. Followers of Jesus are frequently labeled hypocrites. But related to this story, we're often accused of picking and choosing which laws we do and don't live by from the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. So to put this as simply as possible, we have roughly 613 laws given in Scripture. But they can be divided pretty neatly into two groups. There's the purity or cleanliness laws, and then there's the moral laws. The purity or cleanliness laws all have to do with how a sinful and imperfect people can engage in worshiping a perfect and holy God. And so to approach God in worship at the tabernacle and then later at at the temple, people needed to somehow make themselves or keep themselves clean by wearing certain kinds of clothes, touching certain kinds of objects, and not touching many other types of things, and also by eating certain foods while not eating or touching other kinds of foods. Now, Jesus came to fulfill all of those cleanliness and purity laws in him. Because of Jesus' self-sacrificial death on the cross— there would be no more need for temple worship along with its endless sacrifices. Anyone could now have direct access to a perfect and holy Heavenly Father through Jesus. So to continue to observe those ritual cleanliness laws would be by our actions making a statement that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough and or that we could somehow be good enough on our own. Jesus fully completed and fulfilled every requirement of the purity laws. 
Jesus' sacrifice also covered every moral sin and failure. But the moral laws have always been a reflection of God and his character, uh, which is not what the purity laws were. So how he acts and designed the universe to work flows from his character. And so he still calls us to be like him, to act like him when it comes to loving our neighbor, caring for the poor, generosity with possessions, social responsibility, and commitment to family. There's forgiveness and restoration when we messed up, mess up, but the call is to repent and change how we act. So Peter is simply stepping more fully into the reality of what Jesus has done for Israel and the world, but it's going to be a difficult transition to walk into this new freedom. It's also going to be an essential transition if this whole new faith family that God is creating is really going to work. But Hopefully this distinction between the ceremonial cleanliness purity laws and, and moral laws will help you if you ever find yourself being accused of cherry-picking what rules you do and don't follow in the Bible. It's simply not true. It's an extension of a new reality of what Jesus has done. There's just two other things that I want to quickly share that struck a personal chord. So I'll just mention them and see if the Spirit might be resonating similar things in your hearts. The first thing is that I'm seeing here more evidence of the power of predictable patterns. We talk about these habits that we choose to have in our lives as rhythms that define our culture that we live in and lead. But spiritual predictable patterns also put us in a position where God is more likely to show up in grace and power in our lives, or at least we're more likely to perceive it. A case in point, Cornelius, as a God-fearing man, and let me just tell you what God-fearing meant, uh, it, that meant he w- had become a worshiper of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he hadn't gone all the way to becoming a full convert to Judaism, which would have included being circumcised and taking on full observance of the law. So he, he worships the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he hasn't fully gone in. But he had a habit of giving generously and praying regularly. He received his vision at three in the afternoon, which is one of the three main times that Jewish people pray. 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. are the three most common hours of prayer that we find in the Bible. And interestingly enough, the very next day, we find Peter going up on a roof to pray at noon on an empty stomach. Both of them put themselves in a place where they could more easily hear from God because they had predictable patterns of coming and spending time with him. So I'm wondering, might God be whispering to you and I about embracing a habit of time alone with God? And there's a great chance that this podcast is a natural part of that time uh, that you already have with God. I know you have... If that's the case, I know you have plenty of stories of how God has spoken to your heart in those times, in those predictable patterns of putting yourself in a place with God. The other thing, the final thing that jumped out to me while I was reading through this passage was that the, what the angel said to Cornelius. He said, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. They've gotten God's attention. 
And the thought just crossed my mind. Do you think my giving or generosity gets God's attention at all? Now, this is easily something that we could be guilted about because we're all wealthy people living in a wealthy nation. Um, I'm sure none of us gives enough, whatever that subjective term means. But I also know that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak the language of guilt, accusation, and condemnation. The Holy Spirit woos and convicts. So this question, for me, I felt like was just another invitation. Do I have a generous heart? Do I have a compassionate heart? Do I respond to the Spirit's invitations to give? Do I respond in a way that God takes note? Like, would God say, you know that son of mine, Steve, he's got my heart. He loves to give. I want that. So, I know what my next step is. I know where the Spirit is inviting me um, to change and to take a next step. Would you listen for yours? Father God, please speak to us loudly and clearly again through your, your word this morning and by your Spirit. You know where each of us is in our walk and in our lives. What is it that you're wanting to reveal to us today? And where are you asking us to take one next step in following you? Thank you so much for speaking to us and for showing us and for your immense grace and mercy in the process. In Jesus' name, amen.